Good morning, everyone. My name is Kyle Mueller, and we'll be reading from Psalm 50 this morning. This is verses 1 through 6. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my consecrated ones, who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, my name's Taylor. Would you please join me as we pray this morning? Father, we have confessed that all is not right within us. All is not right in our world, and yet this morning, uh, as you do time and time again, you invite us. You invite us to draw near once again. Uh, You have invited us because of what Jesus has accomplished in our place on our behalf. And so, uh, may we this morning find ourselves again in Him that you might be pleased. So, open our ears now to hear your word to us, that we might walk in the way of Jesus in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, sometimes when you show up to a wedding in your swimsuit, it is just a bad dream. Other times, maybe a couple, it's not that big of a deal. But sometimes when you show up to a wedding in your bathing suit, it's a really big problem. And generally speaking, the degree of the problem is related to the degree of authority, honor, or dignity of the host. And today, Jesus tells a story about a king who invites people to a wedding, and the stakes are as high as they could be. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 to find that story. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we concluded Matthew chapter 21, and there is really an unfortunate chapter break because uh, it's unfortunate because this morning we hear another, a third parable from the mouth of Jesus in response to uh, the question of the elders of the people regarding His authority. You may remember last week Jesus told a, a story about two sons, one of whom said no to the father's Uh, request, and then went and did it anyways. He changed his mind. And then there was another story he told last week, the parable of the the tenants, the tenants in the vineyard who, who murdered two envoys of servants of the landowner who came to collect rent. And then the landowner sent his son thinking, surely they will respect this highest, strongest delegation of my authority, and they do not. And these parables are intended to illustrate the folly, really the brazenness of rejecting Jesus' authority. Because while he has thus far withheld a direct answer from them, Jesus is now making it abundantly clear that he does in fact possess all authority. And his authority is from heaven. And so this morning he tells a third parable, a third story to illustrate his response To this question. And with each of these parables, really, he has escalated the stakes. 
Okay, at first the disobedient son represents the religious leaders who, uh, who are moved to the back of the line to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then uh, with the wicked tenants, they represent the religious leaders who have resisted God's prophets and now his son. And consequently, they are replaced by the, those who will produce the fruit of the kingdom. But to, today, the stakes are raised and you can see for yourself here in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, now as though Jesus is a prize fighter and he has his opponent on the ropes, he's propping him up with one hand and driving into him again and again and again with the other hand. And the point that is being driven into his hearers is this, those who are worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven are those who come on the king's terms. The people who get into the kingdom of heaven, who come to the wedding feast, are the people who regard the authority of the king. And as a result, everything else, everyone else, including those religious leaders, will be judged. Now we see here, and you may, notice, you may have noticed, there are three pretty clear responses to the invitation of the king. And they all meet the same end. The king destroys them. They are judged and found wanting. And my aim this morning is precisely Jesus' aim, not merely to get you to RSVP to the party, but to help you come on the king's terms, submitting to his authority. The other thing, in addition to the three responses, there's, there's really a very clear um, illustration of the king's character. Because he is not inviting these people merely once, nor even twice, but three times as though he is the patient and persistent one who pursues. 
So let's jump in together, okay? And we'll walk through this story. We'll sit in it for a few moments this morning that our hearts and our wills might be inclined to regard Jesus' authority and to come to the feast on His terms. And so this morning, we're going to consider really this story through the lens of the three responses that we see clearly, that of indifference and hostility and presumption. So look with me as we consider this first response of indifference. And it begins at the beginning. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Okay, so Jesus has picked up right where he left off, as though without taking a breath between blows. And he lays on another one to these religious leaders. And here we are as part of the onlooking crowd invited ourselves to consider soberly how we will respond to Jesus' authority. And in the parable, he likens the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast. Now, we have to rightly identify the kingdom of heaven as the wedding feast because if we draw a line at any event or time or gathering like this one, we miss the point. Jesus is talking about the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah, God Himself, who would come to reign in the midst of His people. The kingdom of heaven is any place where God rules among His people. Now, it's been a theme in Matthew's writing to this point, but it's the focus of this parable. And so whatever happens at this wedding feast, we should also expect to happen in the kingdom of heaven. And it starts with a king throwing a feast for his son. And he sends his servants to call those who are invited to the wedding feast. Now, what do you know about kings? You don't like them. They're always in the way. They're a little bit bossy. No. We don't have a monarchy, and so we don't sit under the rule of a king. We don't have a king that we could offend or a king who would ever invite us to his wedding or his son's wedding. And so we're disadvantaged, really, from the onset. But a king is one who has absolute authority. A bad king you call a tyrant. But a good king, well, this would be the ideal form of government, at least for Plato. Because then this king would be free to move in absolute goodness with absolute authority all of the time. And the point being, right here at the outset, by being introduced to this king, is that we have not moved on from our discussion about the authority of Jesus. And this king, he's throwing a wedding feast for his son, presumably his only son, It will be the most grand festivity that the kingdom has known. Presumably, this is in a time of peace. The king has time and energy and resource to throw such a lavish party for his son. And for this feast, like with all feasts, there is a guest list. And the king has put together a guest list and he has sent out the save the dates And he's gotten a lot of RSVPs back, and he is excited. This is going to be 
one of the most grand celebrations that the kingdom has ever known, and this is how things are supposed to go. But we notice right away that things do not go as they ought. Look at verse 3. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Now, I just need to say, this is not normal, expected behavior. I'll remind you about the one who's doing the inviting here is the king who has absolute authority. And kings don't really invite, so to speak. They more command, you're coming to the party. You even told me you would be there. And so refusal then to attend the king's party is is really a tantamount to treason or to a rebellion against the law of the king because the king is both lawgiver and the law. So the offense here in this first response is a serious one. But you, you also maybe missed it in there. We need to catch it. When the king sends his servants, this is not the first time these people have heard this invitation. They're already the ones he has invited. They've already RSVP'd. Now as we continue reading, the king, he doesn't give up on them. Uh, Maybe they just missed the memo. Maybe they had the wrong date in their calendar. And so he's going to send another envoy of servants to call them to the feast. Look at verse 4. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. This is really now the third invitation And the food is getting cold on the table. And the king, with urgency, with with now strong appeal, not inviting as though he is asking permission or, or asking that they might think about it, he's saying, come now to the feast. Now, I've been... I've been invited to some weddings before, and the invitation usually says, ceremony at four, dinner at five, dancing at six. And normally, what goes through my mind is, I wonder what's for dinner. I'm just going to be honest. The ceremony is probably predictable, the dancing is a little predictable, but what's going to be for dinner? And what if if I don't like it? Like, like do I need to bring a snack with me? And all of my anxiety about this wedding comes around this meal. And what the king has done here for us is he has spelled out the goodness of the feast. Oh, it is a beef buffet. If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, but that's what it is. Brisket and ribeye and filet mignon, all from the very best. And this is good news for the vegetarians, the very best uh, well-kept cows, the best tacos, this side note. The best tacos I've ever had were a suadero tacos from OC Taco, a beef belly. Crispy, chewy, oh, it's delightful. Those are on the table. And he's telling me, this invitation is saying, come on, I'm telling you, it's going to be good. And you don't have to take my word for it. This is what's on the menu. And it's already ready. It's hot. You can smell it across town. 
come to the feast. Now, some of you are having a hard time right now identifying with those on the guest list saying, you don't have to invite me twice, like, you already had me. But that, right there, is the tension we're meant to grapple with. Because if the party is really so good, so extravagant, why would the guests refuse? It is because they refuse the king. The problem they have is not with the food or the menu or the party. It's with the host. And this is why Matthew positions this parable among this trio of parables regarding Jesus' authority. Because the pressing problem that Jesus has with these religious leaders is that they want the feast, but they don't want the king. They want the kingdom of heaven. They might even feel entitled to the kingdom of heaven, but they will defy the authority of the king of heaven. And that question really resonates now for us. If it is true that the quality of life in the kingdom of heaven is as good as it is promised, a a treasure hidden in a field, a pearl of great price, old and new treasure, a place where humans flourish as intended in the presence of God, then why would we refuse to go? Why would we drag our heels to come running at the king's invitation? Well, we see now in verse 5 the first response made explicit after this third invitation. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Their response, their reason, nah, we we don't care. Their reason for their rejection of the king, their rejection of the feast, is their indifference. They paid no attention, literally. They neglected. They could care less. In the eyes of the beholder, there were more pressing issues at hand. There's a farm. And you know on a farm, the chores never end. You're never done farming. Well, so i got to get back to that. There was a business, and you know businesses, if you're a small business owner. The books are never closed. Oh, we got to get back to the business, you know. And it is these petty things, these ordinary mundane things that are the guest's excuse for their inability, unwillingness to respond to the invitation of the king. Now, these things are not beautiful, wonderful things. These are not the the luxurious, extravagant things that that C.S. Lewis describes in the screw tape letters as a means to distract from the kingdom. No, these are simply just the things that keep us busy. We're too busy. We'll, we'll, We'll come to the party maybe when we're done. Which means, for both of those trades, never. 
Now, I don't know, maybe you've thrown some kind of grand feast before, maybe at a wedding, and you made a guest list, and you sent out save the dates, and then nobody RSVP'd, of course, because it's the Pacific Northwest, nobody RSVPs. So you follow up then with each guest on the list, okay? Maybe it's a text message first, least intrusive, but then it's a phone call. Or maybe you drive to the address that you mailed the invitation. And one of them tells you, well, really, each one of them tells you, I'm still thinking about it. Still thinking about whether or not I'm going to come. Not sure. And you're like, what is there to think about? Either you're available and you're coming, or you can't. Just tell me, yes or no. And what the, oh, I'm still thinking about it, still weighing it implies, and you also all know this, it means I'm waiting to see if there are any other better options that come up. I'm not sure. The day is wide open, but I don't want to commit to anything just in case that dinner is not a beef buffet. It might be less than. And here, God has invited his guest list into the kingdom of heaven to exalt his son. And when he follows up, they respond by saying, I've got a hangnail. It's going to take me a while. I can't come. Too busy. I was thinking I might go fishing sometime. Sometime. Maybe that day. I don't know. And you know, because it has been done to you, that this is personal. And that is the problem with the first response to the invitation to the feast. Indifference to the king will keep you away from the feast. If you are indifferent as though, take him or leave him, Jesus doesn't matter, you will be indifferent and outside the kingdom. And so really, at each step along the way, you can consider, is this your response to being invited by God into the kingdom of heaven where Jesus the Son reigns? Are you indifferent toward Him? Now, for Jesus' audience, He had pressed the first, the first response to His invitation in, into the kingdom of heaven was indifference. It is bad, okay? It is sin. But the second is worse still. And He continues then in verse 6. Well, I'll start in five. They paid no attention, went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The second response is not indifference. The second response is hostility, open hostility against the king. Well, some were ambivalent. They didn't care. They didn't think he was worth the time. Others were hostile. And it sounds so much worse that we would rule it out of even the realm of possibility. But really, it is strikingly parallel to the first response. You see, if you look here, all of these then belong to the group called the invited ones. And then of those group of the invited ones, all of these so far belong to those who neglected him or were indifferent. Some of them were indifferent and it manifested by going to their business or their farm. Others were indifferent and manifested by killing these messengers. And the parallel really is both 
in, is found in an equal regard for the king himself. The indifferent one has no regard for the king. The hostile one has no regard for the king. The indifferent one attacks the king by the silent treatment, by voting with his words. The hostile one attacks the king by open aggression, by voting with actions. The indifference manifests itself in different ways, and in this case, it escalates now to the highest point. And what Jesus is doing here, once again, is identifying these religious leaders as those who have done both. They have disregarded him. They've neglected the call of the Old Testament prophets, the announcement of John the Baptist, the miracles and proclamation of Christ himself. Yes, the prophets then that God had sent beforehand, they have killed and mistreated. John the Baptist now, the herald of Jesus, is now dead at their delight. And they are plotting already to arrest and kill Jesus. Their indifference has turned hostile. Now I connect the two here, the, the indifference and the hostility, in part because Jesus connects the two. But in part because in our hearts, really, I think we probably have, even lingering, enough reverence that we would never be openly hostile against Jesus. I mean, we're in church after all. We're at least, perhaps, open-minded enough that we wouldn't really rule him out. So he's given, maybe he'll work for some people. Take him or leave him. But it is ambivalence toward Jesus which is equally as damning. And to neglect him Hostile or, or peaceful, to neglect him is to regard him as dead. So because then Jesus has been escalating really the severity of the consequences for those who would reject his authority, the judgment is now pronounced not from the mouths of his audiences in the last parable, but now from the mouth of Jesus himself. In the story, look at verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The judgment of the king is swift, it is complete, and it is final. And we, and we bristle at the thought. Because this does not sound good. Shouldn't the king, if, if we are equating him with God, as Jesus is doing, shouldn't the king be peaceful, a patient with us, a God of mercy and a God of love? Oh yes, yes he is. This is not the first invitation. You have denied him twice and he has still pursued. And so this is not an impulsive move to attack the city, but the time is up. The invitation is rescinded now as judgment comes. I just want to be clear. The invitation is rescinded. I'm going to take back the invitation I gave you. Why? Why is that? Why would he take the invitation back? Because they didn't come. Because the invitation didn't work. 
It's just another piece of trash mailer that's going to go in the recycling bin. It's meant for somebody to enjoy the feast that the king has prepared. And the king does not force them to come. He has the power to. He has the right to. So guess what? He gives them what they want. You don't want me. You don't want my feast. You don't want the kingdom enough to regard me and come on my terms. Then guess what? I will give you not me, not the kingdom, and not a feast. The consequence here of this judgment seems extreme, but it is just. The anger of the king seems uncharacteristic, but it is absolutely in line with his character. And after all, it is anger, the the emotion of anger in this moment that is derived from the root, the emotion of love. Because the ones he loves, he has invited to come celebrate. The ones he loves, he has prepared a banquet table for, and they haven't come. They won't come. And he knows what is best for them, and he knows where they will flourish, and yet they refuse. And so it is with this invitation of the wedding feast, there is an invitation into the kingdom of heaven. And yes, time is running short. It has an expiration date. You have one life, friends, to respond to the invitation of the king to enter the kingdom of heaven. You could respond to him with indifference. You could respond to him with hostility. Or you could come. Now couched Here in this lineup of three responses to the invitation, there is a right one. And it's kind of hidden in there. Because the king is going to have people at his feast. His heart is set on it. He is overflowing with love to lavish on his guests. So take note now of those who, as of yet, weren't even on the guest list. In verse 8. Then... He said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was finally filled with guests. Notice first the qualification For admission to the feast is the worthiness of those who are invited. What is it that makes someone worthy to come to the feast? What is it that makes someone worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? They come. They show up. They have received the invitation of the king and they respond to it. And the servants in their quest find many who will come. Good people come to the feast. Bad people come to the feast. Rich people come to the feast. Poor people come to the feast. Good people get the kingdom of heaven. Bad people get the kingdom of heaven. Rich people get the kingdom of heaven. Poor people get the kingdom of heaven. The the. The qualification is not the quality of morality or performance that precedes or earns the invitation by which one comes. 
The qualification is the invitation itself. Will you come? Now, this is good news for us in at least two senses. Okay, in the first sense, what Jesus is indicating here is that a reversal is taking place in the house of Israel. Long ago, God had chosen Israel to be his people. He would be their God, they would be his people, to whom he would return as their king. But here he is, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus, and they have rejected him. They will not come to the feast. And so he is doing just as he said he would do. Through those prophets whom they killed, through those tax collectors and prostitutes, they get it. And the kingdom is given now to those who produce its fruits. Verse 43 of chapter 21. And now the kingdom is given to all who would come. The fulfillment of Israel as the people of God is realized in a new people. We call it the church. It's not that Israel has been uprooted and discarded. For Israelites have the same invitation now to the kingdom as the rest of us. But it is that the people are now, the people of God are now no longer ethnically or geographically bound in space and time. It is now we who are invited to the wedding feast of the king. And so, praise God. The, the second sense then in which this is good news for us is that, well, I should speak for myself, bad people get into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? You might think that the qualification was religious zeal or, or doing more good than bad. It is not merit or performance. It is simply submission to Jesus' authority. And so, you might identify, you might think yourself to be a person of the streets too far gone, beyond hope. No chance that God would, that a king would, would invite me to a banquet. Never getting in. And yet this is what he has done. The word translated guest here is literally, a, a, it says, those reclining at table. Now clearly those are the guests, but it is those who are reclining at table, which is something that Jesus has done before. When he has reclined at table with tax collectors and sinners alike. So when God is pursuing you, inviting you, do not treat him with indifference, do not treat him with hostility, come to the feast. Okay, now that's, I said coming to the feast was not one of the three responses because there is another wrong response and it is this, do not treat him with presumption. Okay, there's a final movement in this parable, a peculiar one to say, least, which really brings to completion a central point of those who are worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven come on the king's terms. Okay, look at verse 11. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. When the king, finally in his satisfaction, comes to the scene to survey his guests, something catches his eye. In the middle of the sea of tuxedos and ball gowns, there is one Hawaiian shirt, one pair of swim trunks, 
and one set of flip-flops. This guy stuck out like a hay bale in a stack of needles. I mean, probably as much as someone wearing really like a tuxedo to a, a Northwest wedding, right? And the king says, how did you get in here? How did you get in here without a wedding garment? Somehow, okay, now you can imagine, somehow he was easy to spot, okay? Somehow he missed the memo. But absolutely, undoubtedly, he came to this wedding feast without even trying. He presumed that he could come to the king's table and do so as he pleased. And that is my conclusion because of his answer. Okay, his answer to the question is damning. His silence. When the king asked him, how did you get in here? Got nothing. Now, I, we at least half expect him to have a reasonable excuse. Like, you just called me off the streets. Like, I didn't have time. Or, I don't own wedding clothes. I'm too poor. But because he is silenced by the question, it means that he has no excuse. And because he is all alone undressed, it means that all the other ones who came off the streets found a way to show up to the wedding in the wedding clothes. And so it seems that simply coming to the wedding isn't all that makes a guest worthy to stay. There also seems to be a resulting desire a consequential willingness to swing by the house and get ready for the wedding. Now, you, you will not put on the wedding clothes unless you are first headed to the wedding. So you will not live like you belong in the kingdom of heaven unless you first belong in the kingdom of heaven. Your response to the invitation comes first, but then you don't show up to the wedding on your own terms looking like a knucklehead. You show up on the king's terms. And it is this response that we demonstrate, that someone would demonstrate when they say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I really want eternal life. I want all the gifts. But I don't want to let you have any say in my life. I want the king's beef. I want the king's feast, but I don't want the king. What does it look like then to show up with the right clothes on? It means to be dressed appropriately, appropriately befitting life in the kingdom of heaven. And if you look back to the previous parable where uh, Jesus is speaking about those who produce its fruits, and he refers back to Isaiah chapter 5, you remember that the fruits that he expects to see in this vineyard are those of righteousness and justice. Two pillars throughout all of Scripture of right living before God and before others. And you should note again the order of events, lest you think you've got to clean yourself up before you come. The clothes were clearly not required for admission. He got in. Now in this day, it might have been customary for a king to have a wardrobe set near the feast hall, the banquet hall, full of wedding clothes or appropriate garments that he would give to those who showed up underdressed. Admission is free, but once you've come now, you're obliged now to wear the clothes appropriate for the feast. It is, if you're, it's righteousness 
that the clothing is being worn at the table. And that righteousness, these wedding garments themselves were a gift for you, meant for you to put on. You came. You're offered the clothes. Put them on. And on account of his failure then in this regard, this man is treated with the same force as those who murdered the king's servants a moment ago. He's destroyed. He's bound hand and foot. He's cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And like the others, he gets what he wants. So the question that really reverberates through history to us now is this. Do you want the king? If you want the king, you get the kingdom. If you want the kingdom and all of its benefits without the king, you get neither. Or are you indifferent to him? Or will you treat him with hostility? Or do you presume upon his kindness and his patience that he'll give you a share in the feast even though you came on your own terms? It is in this sense, then, that Jesus concludes, many are called, but few are chosen. Meaning simply, many are invited, but few actually show up. Many are invited to the feast, but because of their indifference, their hostility, or their presumption, only few will come and sit at table. And the meaning is plain. Many are invited into the kingdom of heaven. All who hear my voice are invited to the kingdom of heaven. God has come revealing himself, not hiding himself, inviting you to the kingdom of heaven. But few will get in because few will regard the authority of Jesus. Now, friends, we all have been invited to this wedding feast. And what is at stake here? Just think about it. Your seat at the table costs not a hundred bucks, as though if you don't show up, God's empty, God's out a hundred bucks. Your seat at the table costs God the life of his dear son. The son, Jesus, died so that you might be invited to come to the feast on his terms. And the king is right to be angry with those who then mistreat his son. They're supposed to be coming to the feast to exalt him. Instead, they have belittled him by their indifference, hostility, or presumption. And in this parable, then, is both an invitation and a warning. You're invited to believe Jesus, to submit to his authority, to orient your life around your regard for him and to put on the clothes of righteousness and justice that are fitting for the kingdom of heaven. And you are warned at the same time that you will certainly not have a seat at the table unless you do. Those who enter the kingdom of God, those who enter the kingdom of heaven, where God is king and humans flourish, are worthy to enter because they come And they come on the king's terms.
The final words of the New Testament to you are this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Would you pray with me? Father, please move in us this morning that we may all respond to your invitation and come to your feast. And Father, move in us this morning that we, well, that you may find us dressed appropriately. We want to be with you. We want you. And so would you be gracious as you have promised and not withhold yourself from us. Work in our hearts now. Root out our indifference that we might fall more in love with the King every day in your name. Amen.